No, I'm sorry. I've just spilled coffee everywhere, but it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll no. sort that out later. <laughs> That's fine. Good, good, good. Okay, so um, we may as well just uh, just dive into it. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Retail Craft Podcast. We've got a really packed episode, so let's dive straight in with Mark Wright, Global Operations Director at Fatface. Now, Mark's experience spans being Head of Trading at M&S and Managing Director Multichannel at Jack Wills. But in his current role at Fatface, he had the operational and trading reins just as the world headed into lockdown. So let's hear from Mark. Hey, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, and again, sorry we can't say welcome to our lovely studio. We're just going to say welcome from our various bedrooms around the place. So, Mark, tell us a bit about your role and a bit about Fatface. Thank you, Ian, and it's great to join you today. Yes, I've just done my first year anniversary at Fatface. So I joined wow. in June 19. And my role is Global Operations Director, which sounds very grand and does mean that I now get abbreviated to the title of God internally, which is not an ego uh, boost myself, uh, but does cause regular um, Mickey taking at work. And I look after all of our store base. So our stores that most people will be familiar with in the UK, I think, but we've also got over 20 stores in the US. I also look after e-com and I look after people. So I am responsible for wow. our people team and our HR agenda. So that kind of is uh, quite godlike. Yes, I guess so, yeah. Well, let's step back a bit because, you know, those of us of a certain age have known your fat face as it erupted into a relatively tired clothing market and seemed to clothe every student on a skateboard, you know, from north to south. Now, over the years, of course, we've changed, the brand has changed, consumers have changed. So where does it fit into the world now? Yeah, I think for those that aren't as familiar, so the brand started with two founders, Tim and Jules, who had a passion for skiing. Most people think we're a surf brand, actually, by origin, but actually it was the slopes that inspired the business. And they did the whole camper van and selling T-shirts and items out of the van in the Alps. And that was the birth of Fat Face, named after uh, La Fasse, which is a run um, that I'm pleased to say I've been at the top of and at the bottom of, but not all the bits in between. I say, what happened uh, in between? <laughs> in, uh, in Val d'Isere. So that's the birth of the run. And, and it very much, at that point, it was disruptive. It was about a different approach to the lifestyle sector, all focused on casual wear. And I think in terms of how the business has grown, you know, it was very male centric to begin with because of the background of Tim and Jules. And now you know, the majority of our business comes from women's wear. We don't describe ourselves as a high fashion brand, but we have a segment of customers that we serve very well and uh, still position very much as a family business selling women's, men's and kids um, and all wholly owned. So, you know, we're in that unique position that. Um, we sell through our own channels and now increasingly looking at how we place ourselves to extend our reach. Great. Now, you mentioned the US, just like throw away in passing, we have 20 stores. Is that the extent of your globality, so of UK and 20 US, or are you more diversely global than that? No. So, so from a store presence point of view, it's um, UK, Ireland, and then US. And in the US, we've got our own stores that are all based around New England, so sort of Massachusetts down to Connecticut and looking actually, uh, we open our first store near Washington at the end of this week. So we are continuing in that vein. We also have a partnership with Von Mauer, who have us in 35 departmental stores out in the US as well. But beyond that, no, we're not got any other physical presence in Europe or the rest of the world. So uh, a couple of years ago, we went through the surfwear wave if I can pun a little, and everything was surfwear or beachy. Uh, we've had the fast fashion, and now, you know, thanks to lockdown, we seem to be in an emergence of loungewear. Uh, is this going to help you? Is this now the moment for fat faces casual wear to take over the world if you're not wearing jogging pants? Or, you know, how is that going to affect your, your business? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think we've seen some 
amazing trends come through from this. So we did see a spike in loungewear. We saw sales of, of uh, nightwear um, going through the roof in the first sort of three to four weeks of this period. But what we've also seen is a shift into other areas as well. So like we're talking on screen now, we've seen very much an investment in tops. Jewellery, be it earrings or necklaces, have done better than rings or handbags or footwear. So I think you know, the whole way that we're living through this is changing the way consumers are investing uh, their well, well-earned money in terms of fashion. I think mm. um, yeah, the fact we're casual wear, I think, is a real advantage in the main. But then also things like dresses and new smart shorts for gents you know through the good weather that we had at easter and may we've definitely seen people investing in those areas and mm. and i think it's value to answer your earlier question that we'll see us stand out with you know we have got strong presence in coastal locations and those will do well they had a very good week last week as people start to um go out and uh, think about with the changes in the rules spend some time near the sea um, mm. But I think it's the value piece that will um, see us grow and I think make us stand out against the peer group at the moment. Well, it's certainly a turbulent time. Uh, you know, as we're recording this, we're seeing quite a number of, you know, high street stalwarts, especially those in the more formal, semi-formal end with its, uh, you know, shirt makers in the UK, Brooks Brothers in the US, definitely having a, a tougher time. So, um Maybe they should have got the tie pins back into fashion for those Zoom calls. Um, yeah. Now, I've been very remiss. I haven't said congratulations because Fatface ranked elite in our brand index. So congratulations. Thank you so very much. we are tracking oh hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brands across Europe selling direct to consumer. And you've always ranked well, but this year you've made a massive leap and are you know, elbowing some major brands out of the way. Is that in any way a coincidance with your appointment, Mark, or um, <laughs> were things going yes, well Yes, it before? is. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to say that, Ian. I would love to say that, but I, that's that's not my style. You know that. I think, um, you know, it's a fantastic brand and business to be part of. I think it's fairly unique in that uh, everybody is working really hard together, particularly at these these times, in terms of putting the customer journey first, really trying to listen and join things up. And that collaboration, I think, is fairly unique in terms of what I've experienced before. So, you know, we have a store-dominated business and physical experience in terms of retail is really important to us, in fact, face from the shop fits through to how our crew, which is how we term the, the, the teams in stores. It's how our crew interact with customers from a great welcome through to going out of their way to help. So I think you've got a unique in-store experience and then a growing investment in terms of online and trying to work out how we do that really well, but also connect with the customer in different ways as well. So our commitments to sustainability, um, which we've put a lot of time and energy into in the last 12 months. And then I think the other piece is brand engagement. So we are investing time in social and thinking about how do we build followers, but how do we share that story as we go um, through our social channels increasingly rather than just in email or just in store. Mm. So when you, when you deliver innovation into your business, Mark, uh, which I'm sure you're doing all the time, you know, since this thing has happened, this whole COVID thing, has it changed the way in which you're doing things? Are you doing things faster? Are you doing things differently? Are you doing things in a way that you wouldn't have expected a few weeks ago? Yeah, I think it's changed massively, Jamie. I think um, in so many ways. The, the first thing is I think decision-making has got a lot faster because it's had to. So we were a business, uh, as I described with stores, most of our meetings would have been in the office. There would have been the occasional uh, conference calls with stores, but use of video tech didn't exist. So all of a sudden, I think at every level, employees have become more accessible to each other, more visible, uh, bizarrely, because you're seeing each other on screen all the time. So I think it's therefore flattened some of the decision-making hierarchy and meant that with limited capacity, we've really got focused into what's going to make a difference with a shorter-term lens than perhaps we were used to as well. You know, very much making trading decisions within that week, having a critical eye over what words we were using, either for internal communication or external to customers. So I think it's it's been quite liberating 
in a good way and and very much in the first stages almost that survival mentality has brought people together wanting to help the business or wanting to support each other there's been quite a lot of challenge around what we're going to do but not very much friction or arguments if that makes sense so a real willingness to move it on it's such an interesting point there that that balance between the clear immediacy of now trading today trading this week and then the myriad possibilities of strategy in the later term so yeah there is a i know glorious simplicity of being allowed to focus on now whereas as a board you're kind of paid to mull those difficult intangibles so when you think about all the stuff you just chopped out just rule of thumb do you think you've chopped right down to the bone and you'll regret the the focus in the medium term or do you think actually it's just been a clarifying purge and it's helped us go back to values so is this simplification short-term survival or a new better way of prioritizing i think it's i think i do think it's both here and i think it's a great point i think it was a necessity born out of the situation in those early days and weeks and i think some simple things around communication we have done and continue to do so every day i two weeks before this started so back at the start of march did a daily business continuity call that ran seven days a week and brought key functional heads together to say what's on the pad and also what's on people's minds and that has become a critical decision making point for the business and still is every single day as a board we've talked at the end of every day so we've had calls at 4 30 every day to check in uh which is as much about checking in on each other in terms of the the, the challenges uh, that have come up but also then making sure we're aligned i thought about sharing with you something i did right at the start of this so on uh, Sunday, the 15th of March, I went for a run and it was the it was the weekend before all hell broke loose, if you like. Uh, but I went for a run to clear my mind and I found myself sat on a bench near the river and I tapped in five notes into my phone, which were notes to myself, but they became a really important reference point, actually, through this. So the first note was be human. Um, so that was, I just had a feeling it was going to go a bit silly. Uh, and at the heart of it, being human and putting yourself in other people's shoes and thinking about how messages were going to be received as well as delivered was really important. Uh, the second one learned from a, an old director at M&S uh, that I hold this thought true quite often, but beware the law of unintended consequence. And, and I think trying to think about at least a step or two steps ahead to your point, so you're not just making an immediate decision, you're thinking about where does that lead you to next? And that was really important. Uh, the third one was try and give yourself as much time, which sounds mad. But actually, when you've got a crisis situation going on, the thing, the most precious entity that you wish you had more of was time. Mm. And therefore, trying not to put myself under pressure, being the central sort of fulcrum for where the decisions were making, really helped um, and helped other people take a bit of pressure off. And then the last couple were one is common sense will prevail, <laughs> which was That's which is trying to... Well, it's, it's a bit British gallows humour, I think, if I'm really <laughs> honest. Yeah, you, you know, when all else is gone, you just hope that common sense will prevail. Um, and uh, and the last one was lead, don't manage. Which in the latter stages of this, thinking about how I was starting to hand over bits to people that were coming back to the business, because throughout this time we had about five percent of the organisation working and ninety-five percent furlough. You know, two and a half mm. thousand employees, most of which would have been working in stores but that wasn't possible so um really trying to think about setting people up and th those sort of principles i found really helpful i shared with the team and really you know i didn't realize that writing those down on my phone on the on the 15th of march it was then going to be three months before we opened our first stores up again you know it's quite quite a surreal moment really and how has the reopening gone yeah it's it's been it's been interesting. I mean, I think overall, we put a lot of energy into making sure our environments are safe, first and foremost, for our employees and then for anybody visiting. And that includes all of our stores and then our office and warehouse as well. So on the 15th of June, when we could, we opened up 
our first bunch of stores. So we opened 50 stores then. And I'm pleased to share that we now have over 200 stores open. Wow. And I think in that first week, there was a mixture of excitement for people being back in their shops again with their teams, uh, high, quite high degrees of anxiety as to what was this going to feel like. And at, and at this point, when we first opened, people had been encouraged to make a, a bubble with one other person and were suddenly leaving loved ones at home and coming into a store environment. So I think we put a lot of effort into the safety, the hygiene. We have the best smelling hand sanitizer on the high street, uh, I think. And uh, and so um, who, who judged that competition? Oh, that... oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please do go and test it. Um, and I think the first two, three days we traded up on the year like for like, which was fantastic. You know, wow. to actually have that kind of level of performance was brilliant. I think I would then describe it as we've gone through the phase of it's a bit like the new family Zoom quiz. So, you know, there's a novelty factor of I haven't been shopping for three months. Let's go out. And things have settled down now. But we, um, you know, we're continuing to open our stores. We haven't opened stations and airports yet. But with the uh, the increase in sort of traffic that's likely to go through those with summer holidays, uh, we're now looking at those as, as the last group. But overall, really pleased. Aside from the difference in trading patterns and up one week and maybe not so up the next week or whatever, how have your customers, how have you felt they have reacted and how have they told you about what they're experiencing? Yeah, I think um, overall they have really appreciated the time and consideration we've put into the environment. So trying to make that safe, trying to make that clear, to be respectful that people will do different things. I mean, I think just before joining this call, I saw that Boris was about to announce that face coverings will become mandatory or a recommendation. So I think there's been a lot of changes in advice. Mandatory. Exactly. You know, it's going to be. But subject yeah, to common don't, sense. Don't draw me on that again, but it's going to be <clears throat> go shopping, don't go shopping, yes. go shopping uh, type of advice again. I think Matt Lucas will get ready for his next video tribute. Um, so I think getting the safety bit right, first of all, they've appreciated Jamie. I think we saw some of our loyal customers come back out and enjoy shopping with us and enjoy that physical interaction. You know, we are all human beings and it's an important part of our lives. So I think trying to get that right has been critical. Um, and how has the, if you like, this sort of odd out of time aspect hit you? Because, you know, we had that, we had summer in March, autumn last week, bit warmer again now you know what has that done to your stock position your planning for next year and the sun is still shining so you could open with you know beach-like stock but how are you seeing the rest of the year yeah we we were lucky uh and all, also part of clever planning of course but we put in <laughs> some of our summer ranges back at the start of march which is earlier than we had done before so one of the things that was pleasing on reopening is we had quite a lot of lightweight dresses um, tops, some shorts in. So actually, in re reopening the stores, it didn't feel completely out of touch with the weather and the, the mindset at, at that point in time. It was slightly odd taking Mother's Day POS down was one of the first jobs because that's you know the reality <laughs> is we we closed up just before Mother's Day and then opened up just just in time for Father's Day. But I think I, I can't blame the weather this this season because I think the glorious hot spells we've had have lifted the mood and encourage people to shop and invest. And actually a little bit of colder weather in more recent weeks has, has been quite well timed where we've done a little bit of selected price activity to clear some of that product. The, the challenge at the moment really is trying to work through two stock pots because we've got an online performance that continues to be strong and robust and clearly a really important part of our future now. It always was, but it's accelerated. And yet actually we want our local customers to be able to go to their you know their local market town and buy something from fat face and that's the real balancing act at the moment um and something that we need to work out some better solutions for going forward you know that that's the dichotomy i think we've got to work out so has that changed your list of priorities of stuff to do that you had in your list before march the 15th or whatever your key date was uh and what you're going to be focusing on now as the world has changed yeah i, th I think Jamie, it's accelerated. I don't think it's changed anything. I think we all already knew that was going to be important. But, you know, when you go from e-com representing 20 to 25% of the business and then it's 100%, uh, yeah, it really does sharpen the focus uh, on everything. 
And, and indeed, the interesting piece of that is then the way that customers engage with us. So actually, you know, one of the challenges, I think, for most clothing retailers will be returns. So all of a sudden, you know, whereas uh, we had a lot of footfall into stores, both purchasing and returning, we've then got everything arriving at the warehouse, at the distribution center. So resourcing that has changed. Thinking about how we message things on the website and tracing returns wasn't something that was high on the list and now is. So in, in every essence, I think it just it, it makes you think about the world in a different way. Absolutely. So how have things changed for you personally? Because you had your epiphany on a park bench, which uh, <laughs> in years to come, people will refer to that uh, in their little I, bit. I now feel like Forrest Gump now you've played it back to me. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that was in no way uh, meant. Um, so you had your uh, insight there. We've had three months of lockdown, which you know, has changed a number of things. Uh, what has that changed about you? Have your five maxims stuck and become normal? Are there other things you've learned? Yeah, it's a great question. Ian. I think um, one of the things I haven't yet gone right is using my my saved commuting time for my personal well-being. <laughs> so I've gone through stages of getting out on the bike and for some nice morning runs when I would have been in the car early driving down to Havens or somewhere else. And that's something I definitely need to improve. But but are uh, you sleeping more or just working more? Yeah, no, I am sleeping more. I don't mind fessing yeah. that up. I definitely seem to be to be, to be sleeping more. Now, of course, um, people can't tell from our young, handsome voices that we are men of a certain age. So <laughs> my, my question, which is, you know, going right in my head is, have we been sleep deprived for 30 years of our working lives and now is catching up pre-retirement? <laughs> or is it the lockdown that's made us more tired? I don't know about you, but sleep has definitely become my number one activity. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, you know, I have a, a Garmin fitness watch and um, that does track my sleep every day. And I used to laugh at it, never really paying any attention whatsoever. Uh, but now I think suddenly I'm starting to edge towards the required amount of sleep every night. So that's, def that's definitely something. I think, um, I think other things on a, on a sort of more serious work note, I think having, I've always tried to set context when talking to teams about what we're working through. And I think working through video screens has actually been very beneficial. So really, yeah, you know, I, I, I think there's something about it's almost like holding a mirror up to your leadership style because you when you can see yourself or you see people's reaction i think we are more focused in the moment to things that we're saying mm. we've got to quite good etiquette using uh microsoft teams or zoom now to raise hands when people are talking and and therefore it feels like an inclusive conversation rather than i think it, perhaps people are more more aware of things like that than they might be if they were in yeah. the room. So I definitely think there's been some changes in style. And do you find that that is um, working across the whole business? Because, I mean, we've had a, a sea change. One of my business partners was very office-focused, didn't believe in homeworking, and he has just taken to it like the proverbial duck to water. But we have found some odd things, like um, the staff who've known each other for a long time, we've become politer to each other via video, the younger people in the office, maybe they don't have a home office or they live with parents uh, or they haven't had the structures of work for a long time. They are the ones that have been finding it harder than some of us. So, you know, if you think about then taking that out, you know, to you mentioned the market towns where, you know, people's circumstances can be very different. Their family lives are different. The progress of the virus locally is different. So many variables, yet you've only got the screen. So, how have you managed to extend that sort of head office improvement to the whole business? Yeah, I think it's different across different teams, if I'm honest. So, yeah, you referenced Ian, men of a certain age. I think there would have been an assumption that if people had been working from home, they wouldn't have been working from home. They would have been at home and mm. doing some work. And that's just not true. I think people have worked harder than ever through Absolutely. this period and totally committed to it. And I think people have different work setups and being very mindful of that, that some people may have an office set up, others are in a bedroom, a lot of people are in their kitchens um, mm. and have families that at the same time as people are working, they are homeschooling, they're looking after 
younger and older members of family. So I think I think we've all got a, a lot more cognizant of that. To, to go from having a distant relationship where you might see someone at work to being in their livelihoods yes. day in, day out. And, is, and in their rooms. I mean, and in their know. rooms, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And, and, I, and I think that lends itself... I mean, the amount of pets <laughs> that have interrupted our team calls is, is immense. So... I think there's that piece. The other piece I think that is challenging at times uh, working this way is you don't get the coffee break moments of small talk. So what you don't get is that shared lift on the way to work or, you know, uh, the sort of small chat bits that do connect people. And I think trying to find ways that just keep, again, back to that being human, keep the mood light, keep it a bit more relaxed because otherwise every work call can be very productive but very full on and I definitely staring at a screen in sort of weeks three and four became pretty knackering because you felt you're on all the time so starting to switch that up with phone calls you know don't need to see that somebody is at their desk working to be able to have a conversation with them and vice versa so I think being more flexible really is the heart of this. It's interesting though that you reference the hard work as I totally agree with that. I think people have been uh, busier than ever. But back when I started working, it was all suit and ties. And there was this American import called Dress Down Friday. And I was working uh, for a very large accountancy firm at the time. And they hired Dress Down consultants to help the partners know what to wear. So obviously had chinos, button-down blue shirt. But they didn't have anything between Savile Row, three-piece suit and gardening cast-offs. There there wasn't this, you know, this is my real life and I'm just more relaxed. So it'll be interesting, not only from a a company perspective, but also, again, whether that will play into the hands of the brand as people become more compassionate and chilled out. I was just going to say, Ian, you you seem to listen to their advice quite well, just looking at your (laughs) garb you've got on right now. So anyway, Mark, you were going to say... This is why this is not a film video call, it's just a podcast. Now, I've I've gone the other way. So I I introduced Dress Up Friday, Ian. So we we started doing a weekly quiz and I thought it was important to go with the theme. So I I put a suit and tie on for our, our quiz. I did a flashing bow tie one week for the entertainment round. Um, and even the Easter bunny outfit came out for Easter. So I, I think it's important to embrace the change and go the other way. Yeah, I'm, I'm ringing HR now. I can feel the urge. <laughs> so hey, you have um, to speak to me as well. Okay. <laughs> so, Mark, just to round off, what's exciting you then? Getting back to a semblance of non-lockdown, what's on your executive agenda that's uh, yeah. of interest? Yeah, it's a great question. I think excitement is probably not the emotion that, that sort of comes to mind at the moment. Um, but I think what is making me both excited and feel proud is right across the industry that we work in, that people have really stepped up and started to think about how do they transform their business, what's right for their teams and their employees, which I think is so important at the moment, that actually we talk about customers, but the nature of this pandemic is about trying to do the right thing for our people all the step of the way. And I feel really excited that we can all learn some different lessons out of this and give ourselves the chance to think about how we adjust how we do business. I think from a customer point of view, digital was already important. I think that's just accelerated massively. And what's important to the customer going forward is going to, I think, become really clear really quickly, which is about quality and value for money as it has often been. I think trends will change, like we've talked about relaxed casual wear and loungewear. Mm-hmm. I think sustainability is an interesting one because it was very much in the mind of the consumer before all of this happened. And I think along the way, I just think this from a life point of view, you know, people are now drinking out of plastic cups. Uh, we are throwing lots of stuff away because of, from a hygiene point of view. Um, you know, it's almost the the amount of plastic bags that have been given out for people to do food shopping at a time that it was only a month before all this started that bags for life and re, reusable course, yes. were so important. So I think it's going to be interesting where that lands in terms of how important that is in the long term. But something mm-hmm. certainly from, from our business point of view, we take really seriously. We already did paper uh, carrier bags for shops. 
and then we moved to a paper recycled bag for all of our e-com orders back before Christmas last year. Mm. And we've continued that commitment because this shouldn't be a sort of flash in the pan moment. This is about sustained commitments um, to the planet as well as people. So I think that that's going to be interesting to see what new trends emerge. Great. Well, look, I think you've uh, given us enough there to run a couple of conferences and our uh, commentary programme for this, the rest of the year. Mark, absolute pleasure chatting to you again. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ian. Great to speak to you. And good to see you too, Jamie. All yeah. Thanks, Mark, for that typically broad-ranging, thoughtful and open contribution. Let's switch now to eBay. Our interest in this marketplace giant was piqued as our research showed a continued growth in marketplaces as a preferred consumer destination. RetailX research over the summer shows around 53% of all consumer visits start on a marketplace. And so we thought we'd look a little deeper into how these marketplaces can be used by major retailers and brands. And to that end, we chatted with Murray Lamble, the Vice President of UK Trading at eBay. Murray has a particular focus on getting larger retailers and brands onto the platform. So we asked him to tell us more, including how we can access his 27 million customers. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about your role and just a thumbnail sketch in case there's anyone on the planet who's never heard of eBay. Uh, well, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me in this much more relaxed environment than it used to be in the old world. You can be in your house and have the safety of that around you. So I work on the commercial business for eBay UK, so I look after that in the UK. And eBay in the UK, around 27 million buyers. So pretty much every household's got an wow. account, uses it uh, every month. We're about 70% of our businesses, businesses selling to consumers. Uh, and then we have obviously the business that many people know and love, which is consumers selling to other consumers, uh, which historically has been via an auction platform. So that kind of gives you a bit of a flavour of, uh, of eBay in the UK. Most consumers want something that's quick and easy to get. So they want to be able to go online, find an item and buy it. Outside of that, you're always going to have a set of bespoke needs or desires. So some items will sell very well at auction. It's very hard to gauge the price. It works really well. Another format is enabling a buyer to propose a price to the seller so that they can then do their own negotiation, which is outside of an auction format. And that works very well. So you kind of got the majority of consumers that want quick, easy, help me find what I need. And then you've got a load of behaviors and types of inventory that work well in the niches around the edges a little bit, which is some of the stuff that you're talking about. So the beauty of the internet is it can cater for all of these uh, individual desires and interests, which is good, I suppose. Now, our focus is unashamedly on retailers and brands. And uh, because I'm old, I can remember the early days uh, when people didn't really pay much attention to marketplaces. They had their perfect brand space or their fully controlled retail environment. But we're just seeing marketplaces grow and grow. So tell us a little bit about how you're seeing the adoption of the marketplace by those formerly known as retailers, as well as brands going direct to consumers? It's been a transformation over time and probably over really acutely over the last five to seven years. Uh, and the last three months have been an exaggerated transformation of that trend, I think, that we've been seeing. And mm. the reason is, is that you've got lots and lots of consumers who want to go somewhere where they can find inventory and buy in a, in, in a safe environment. And that's what their need is. And as they've done that, brands and retailers have realized they need to be where the customer is wanting to go. So that's been a, that's really been the evolution. My recollection would be five to seven years ago when I would be turning up at a, a brand, talking to them about the opportunities that a marketplace presented you were kind of the pariah, you were a problem and it was difficult to understand how this was really going to work and wasn't it all about destroying value of the brand. I think that conversation is now much more mature and much more developed. So when I engage with many big retailers and big brands, they understand the value and, and some of them have bespoke needs, which a marketplace environment and eBay will, will be trying to cater for. Uh, and that's the right conversation. So we have the buyers, 
how do we help your inventory and your brand show up in the right way that suits you? And, and there's kind of a meeting of minds. And I find the conversations are now just much more strategic and thoughtful about how we enable brands to make the most of the marketplace opportunity that, that we see on eBay. So can you give me um, an example? So as an eBay user, I'm tootling around. I generally tend to be product-focused or search-driven, but it all kind of looks the same to me. I look for what I want, I get what I want, job done. From a retailer perspective, what has changed? What do you offer them that has made the whole experience more palatable? Is it behind-the-scenes technology, better reporting, secret source that is sprinkled on it by eBay magic pixies? What has that move to the retailer? What's that really mean? First and foremost, we have to show up to the buyer in a way that shows products for their beauty and wonder, right? That's really what you you want to create a lovely shopping experience. So you have lots of destination shoppers. You also have lots of browsing shoppers. And you want the shopper to show up and see a product. So lots about product images, lots about descriptions, and then giving the buyer the ability to, to find and discover. So they, they look at something and then they can explore further into a category or then they can move across categories. From a, a, a retailer or a brand's perspective, it's the ability to understand, well, how do I make my product on brand stand out? And what levers do I have? How do I have my storefront? And how do I make my product item stand out from others? And all of those are options that we make available. Uh, and the idea is it's a democratic environment. They're equally available to a small business, which is just starting out, to a, a multinational retailer or brand. And then it's really up to your choice about how you leverage it and make the most of that environment. And I find that the most forward-thinking brands are really embracing it very well. So Jules would be an example. It's um, a, mm-hmm. a very well-known high street brand, beautiful products. Uh, they work very closely with us about what's the range that, that works for a marketplace customer on eBay and how do they make their products stand out. And so it's been an evolution of our product suite, but we can develop our product when we're having conversations with brands and we understand what they need. And when we're really into those conversations, I find that we're starting to deliver clearly by the volume of businesses and brands on the site uh, needs that they have. Mm. You know, when you, you've obviously got a lot of competitors, and I suppose this period of time has increased some of those competitors like you were talking about for your business. Is it actually good that the brands you work with are working with other ones too? Does it kind of help the mindset that you were talking about in terms of wanting to work with marketplaces if they are sort of working with others too, which is sort of counterintuitive, I guess, to most uh, situations. The principle for me is that I will offer, so eBay will offer a market where there's lots and lots of buyers. So I talked about the 27 million buyers. We've got lots of buyers and therefore I want that inventory. Equally, that brand needs to think about other distribution channels. And that, as you said, Ian, they've proliferated in the last Mm. few years and they, they just continue to multiply. And it's great that a brand considers all the different places that it wants to be. Ultimately, you need a channel which will get buyers, as in the buyer will show up and they will convert and they will spend money and hopefully they'll come back again, right? And mm. so that's really my primary job, that I can make sure that I've got enough buyers that will continue to buy. And therefore, it's all about a safe and trusted experience for the buyer. I know that I'm going to be treated well, that I can have confidence in, in, the, in the transaction. And if there's a problem, that problem will be resolved. And then therefore, that gives confidence in the brand in wanting to be with me. That They can also do that in other places. My job is to make sure I do it as well and better in some instances than, than competitors will. We've seen, um, you know, across Europe, uh, I mentioned our marketplaces report. We're tracking, I think it's about 140, 145 marketplaces that range from, you know, places to buy and sell lead toy soldiers, <laughs> specialising in the Polaroid war, car parts, etc. And if you add in non-transactional marketplaces, so listing sites, is probably sorry, 500. We're now seeing that around 53% of all consumer visits across Europe go to marketplaces first. So the first thing a consumer does is point their browser at one of these marketplaces. Look, it's no surprise that, uh, you know, across Europe, you're one of the biggest ones. What factors do you think there are that are driving this level of ongoing connection with the consumer? So we've, we've mentioned trust. I think trust around payment, trust around the fact that there are people behind it. We get that. What, what else is there that 
you know, stops at 27 million becoming 2 million. So you mean, why will the buyer be staying with eBay as opposed to going to one of the alternatives? Or? Yes, and, you know, and growing as well. You know, this has grown five percentage points in two years. So marketplaces are actually increasing their share of consumer preference visits. So what's the secret? What, what, what should I be looking at to, you know, engage the customer more? So, so buyers tell us again and again, they love selection and they love value. That's what's fundamentally important to them. And value means sometimes it's about the price. Sometimes it's about some, I'm find, finding something unique. I'm finding something that's end of line and no longer available anywhere else. There's tons of demand for that kind of stuff. And so by having that in one place, the consumer feels that they can shop a plethora of goods that then keeps them happy and satisfies that need. Mm. I think it's amazing that the proliferation of marketplaces enables there to be niche interests which are catered for. You have specific interests which are very difficult to offer in a fully horizontal environment. And those niche interests are best catered for sometimes in, in, in those places. However, I think you can still bring together a breadth of selection across you know, tens of millions of products, which is the case in eBay, which is really what keeps the customer coming back. And that's what we hear mm. again and again. So what I generally find is there's still lots more inventory out there from lots of brands and lots of retailers that they need to get in front of customers in a cost-effective way. Yeah. Physical store isn't the way to do that. Some online channels are not a profitable way to do that. And a marketplace offers an economic and scaled way to get in front of customers without all the marketing costs associated with it. So... Mm. You know, eBay plays a brilliant role in I've got inventory, which I don't want to be necessarily on my own web store. I don't want it to take up retailing space that's very valuable for me. I have a specific need to get this stuff in front of customers. And that's where we offer a, a kind of an effective solution. Interesting. And so as you look at the months ahead, what are the directions of travel, the areas of interest that you're going to be working on that uh, we're going to be seeing you know, available to retailers the coming year? Because everyone's looking now for something new so we can get this mythical bounce back that uh, we were sort of promised. But, you know, it's it's not exactly as easy as it sounds. Mm. So, so what have you got coming up that you're excited about? Yeah. The first thing to say is that this isn't directly a product solution. But the first thing is, as I mentioned earlier on, we've had an acceleration in the number of brands that are picking up the phone and we're having conversations with. And these are conversations that have often been in development over a number of years, but the number of times that those conversations are now happening, the frequency has increased exponentially as brands and retailers said, actually, I need to really get to grips with this and understand how mm -hmm. to get my product out there in a scaled way. And so the piece that's going to transform is I think we're going to see a massive acceleration in the number of brands and retailers that are leveraging a marketplace and leveraging the online environment to grow their business. And I think that that will be effective. You know, in the last yeah. uh, 60 days, Lyle and Scott, Gann, Sea Salt, expansion of our existing brands and retailers, for example, Curry's Outlet, all of that has happened in a very fast space. I was speaking with a very large fashion retailer yesterday who we've been speaking with for five years and they've launched on eBay in 90 days in the last period, right? That's the transformation. So tell me that was five years of strategy and planning <laughs> uh, or was it five years of not answering emails from Murray and then, oh, go on then. So what, what tipped them over? I mean, it's trite to say, you know, we're on a burning platform or COVID this, COVID that. Are you detecting that these revenue generating things have just gone onto the top 10 list? Is it as simple as saying, look, it's COVID, stop asking questions? You know, how come people can make a decision in you know, no time when before they couldn't? I mean, that's an amazing question for, for businesses in general, right? When you're in, when you're in an emergency, you react <laughs> differently. And guess what? Loads of businesses are finding themselves in an emergency and then therefore they are responding. And topics that have been there, there's now more of a discussion at the board level about saying, okay, what's out there? What can we do and, and what can we unlock? And then that, mm. that desire to both experiment and realise the value has moved up the agenda. Uh, often these have been, we're managing a difficult environment in traditional retail. How do we evolve? And that's a slow evolution. And this has just exacerbated, I think, that evolution. So I would say in that in this example that I've given you five years ago, it was, oh, God, there's an email from eBay again. Three years ago, it's OK, this is kind of interesting and we should be talking. A year ago, we're going to do something within the next two years, but our roadmap's a bit busy. So this is the number one thing that we now need to do, which is really the conversation of the last 90 days. Yeah. Uh, and so... 
And that's why that conversation accelerated. So, Murray, you strike me as a nice guy. I mean, all the other people I've met from eBay are lovely, but you are few and retailers are many. So just describe what help a retailer would get from you. Do they just call you up and say, you know, come on, Murray, hold my hand, help me on? What is it? Because I know for the SME and the sole trader, and you know, I'd encourage people to look at this as an example of documentation, the amount of help in the eBay uh, knowledge base for getting up and running, it's, it's fantastic. Whereas for a larger retailer, you know, they might need a bit more complicated, a bit more help. Uh, who's at the end of the phone or the email? You know, is there like an eBay Ghostbusters team that descends and gets you up and running in five days? Just just talk me through what support there is to, to really motor. I think my team would love to be described as an eBay Ghostbusters team. That's kind of nice. I mean, maybe we could do some rebranding, but uh, in all seriousness, it's a we, gift, my we... gift to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> There's no copyright on that, I'm sure. <laughs> We run the team uh, in the largest vertical areas that covers the big chunk of our business and most brands and retailers. So fashion, home and garden, um, white goods, home technology, vehicle parts, accessories, et cetera, et cetera. Each team uh, has a dedicated core team that helps uh, understand, uh, share with the brand and retailer what demand we see on the platform. And then we have a technical integration team that we work with once we've understood that the opportunity is there to help make sure that that brand launches on the platform in the way that they want to show up. Uh, and that's what we're there for. Now, with that team are extremely busy, and, but we will always prioritize uh, the, the work that we need, especially where we see demand on the platform. What's striking for me is the disconnect between the amount of demand I have coming in from these 27 million buyers, because they may be buying a lot every month, but they're also searching for a lot more inventory that they can't find. And that inventory often isn't available online. And so what I'm then getting the team to do is be reaching out to brands. And when we do contact a brand or a retailer, it's because we're saying we genuinely have a need here. We have a gap in, in, in what consumers want. We're not there to compete with you. We're there to offer you a platform and opportunity. Uh, and hopefully it's a win-win-win, right? So that genuinely, we want the brand and retailers to sell their product. That helps clearly eBay and therefore the buyer's getting what they want. And they're in this mm. place. So that, you know, that, that's really what we're trying to do here. It sounds like you're in a great position, obviously. Lots of buyers and lots of sellers, you're finding them and, and it's all going well. I guess it does the headache, the nice headache, I suspect, come that you've actually got a service to, to, to Ian's point about bringing them on board all these additional businesses. Is that is that something that keeps you awake at night or is that a, a well-oiled machine that uh, just runs away and you don't need to think about it? During this last period, we've seen a massive acceleration of businesses registering. We saw around 60,000 new businesses registered to start selling on eBay in the last 90 days. Uh, and many of them are doing that through a self-serve set of platforms, right? And many large brands will also come to the site and register and get going. What we're there to do is often step in and help more when we've identified them uh, and see them there. We also have a massive network of partners that we work with. So on the platform, I have lots of other businesses that were when the brand or the retailer actually doesn't want to manage this channel in addition to their existing channels, we will work with them in order to help them get their inventory on the platform. So suddenly somebody else is taking the, the workload away. So uh, for example, we've massively expanded the range of Lego, we've massively expanded the range of Unilever and Procter and & Gamble in the last uh, six months. And, and that's all been done through partners. So we work with an existing eBay seller that understands us implicitly, is a super high quality business, employing lots of good people who can then service them. So I try and leverage a network beyond my network to make sure that brands mm. and retailers, and often that route is very fast and very effective for the types of brands and retailers that might need more handholding and more support than I might be able to offer. That's a very good point. Now, when I talk to retailers who are trading their site to the cold face, it's very personal to them. You know, they're making the product selection, they're working with the algorithms, they're tweaking the knobs and dials. It's the warp and weft of their trading. It's tempting to see a marketplace as a remove. Look, I've given you the feed, just bring me the sales. Now, we know it's not like that, but if you were talking to a head of e-commerce saying, there's all this sales waiting here for you, but there are two or three things that you need to pay attention to or change your behavior or focus. What two or three things would you add to their brain to really help them get the most out of 
the sales opportunities via eBay. What is critical is getting the inventory well displayed and really high quality uh, of exposure of that product. And although it sounds very trite as a comment, it is not leveraged in enough cases to really make the most of the opportunity. And launching successfully, getting your inventory well displayed is the key thing uh, to get you started and making the most of the, the, the ecosystem really is. And then there are a surprising number of basics which still we work very closely with brands and retailers on helping them understand is the level of service standards are so competitive uh, that you really need to be very thoughtful in terms of speed of dispatch, speed of receipt. Um, this is less of an issue than it was a couple of years ago, but it, it is still prevalent. And I think what's interesting is often larger brands and retailers aren't able to meet the service standards quickly and effectively at the start. And we need to lend, lend the hand either through another partner or give them closer guidance because there are a lot of small to medium businesses out there that are offering outstanding services to consumers, right? And they're, they're, they're nailing it. They're doing an amazing job. Uh, they're dispatching yeah. the item within a matter of hours. The item's arriving within two days uh, and they, they're offering a great returns proposition. And so my job is often to talk to a brand and retailer about the environment they might find themselves in online and kind of give them a sense of, actually, this is the benchmark you need to get to. It doesn't always go down brilliantly well, the conversation, but it is a reality, right? That's just the reality of where you're competing. But also, I think it's a, um, it's a change of mindset from buying a store and dominating those square meters to how to dominate every transaction and win every sale. It's, it's a, it is a different mindset. Just wrapping up then, we're all sitting cozy and probably slightly cabin fevered uh, in our home offices. Are you looking forward to going back into uh, the office or is it home working forever for you now? What, what's your thought on you know, what office like is going to be like come Christmas? Uh, I miss massively being out and talking to people face to face <laughs> and having those interactions. Uh, and it's not so much about the office environment. I think we've been well, uh, eBay's been well set up and is working virtually for a long time. But I miss more than anything going out to meet businesses and talk to them and actually understand their needs. Going to the warehouse, understanding here's the inventory, this is what we need to get, how do we get all of this stuff online and displayed well and trying to work through the problems. There's nothing like seeing it for real. So I'm kind of, I'm hoping that that comes back to reality by the end of the year. Great. Well, look, we hope so too. And it'd be nice to uh, catch up with you uh, within a meter, no closer, of course. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll hear back from you soon when maybe we're allowed to get out and about and chat to people. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Take care. See thanks. you. Thanks. Bye. Hey, thanks again, Murray. Extraordinary to ponder the 60,000 new sellers on eBay in 90 days. Dynamic times indeed. So that's the end of our bumper edition. It's thanks from Jamie and me, and we look forward to bringing you our next episode very soon. In the meantime, keep safe, wash those hands, and happy trading. 